Today we resume our Exploring the Branches of Mormon Fundamentalism series. On this episode, I have Josh Thompson on the podcast as we have a conversation about the Apostolic United Brethren, also called the AUB. Now, Josh is the grandson of Ruin C. Allred and has been a member of the AUB his entire life. In our conversation, we talk about the history of the group by discussing presidents of the AUB, starting with Ruin C. Allred down to the present, and exploring notable events that happened during their respective administrations. We then move on to talk about the culture of the AUB, where we discuss their various communities, activities, along with practices around courtship and marriage. We then finish up by having a conversation about doctrines that are held by the AUB, all the while taking time to discuss gospel principles. Stick around for a fascinating conversation on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, search out the blog post, and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Josh, how's it going, man? It's going real good. Appreciate good. the opportunity to do this. We're super early. I'm a little tired, but but I'm excited. I am too. I am too. I hear you. But but we'll get through this. As 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 we talk here, things will lighten up, I promise. So have you <laughs> so real quick. Have you always been a fundamentalist? Were you born and raised a fundamentalist? Uh, yeah, so I was uh, I was raised with uh, three moms. I've always had, actually, well, that's not true. Okay, so I was born with one, my original uh, dad, as, as a second, second wife of that one. I was in that family until I was about five. They had a divorce for a number of reasons um which you may or may not go down that hole i don't know but uh uh divorced and then my mom remarried uh my stepdad now who had two wives and she was the third wife at that point um and so i was brought that family and i feel like i had a uh awesome childhood but yeah uh fundamentalism is the only religion uh, i personally have ever known um i think we all kind of go through our own little faith uh crisis type thing where we decide is this what we're going to do and what we're not 
So I guess in my heart, technically, there would have been a little phase where I was most kind of unsure, trying to figure things out. Sure. But uh, but, but yeah, I, I've definitely been in it my whole life. Right on. Uh, yeah. Three moms. Yeah, what was that? Three moms. You didn't get away with anything as a kid, did you? <laughs> you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did live uh, separate. Uh, my specific family was a little more blessed than a lot of polygamous families. Uh, so, because every wife uh, was able to have their own house, but we also lived house to house to house on one oh, piece yeah. of property. So it's like they had their own space, their own room, um, but we were all really close to each other. And the kids kind of, you know, we were able to just go to the other houses, sleep over, because obviously when you have a polygamous family, you have siblings that are your own age that you hang out with. Right. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Did you attend public school or? or? Uh, yeah, so my family was a little, was quite a bit uh, different. And I know I've kind of talked to you about this and said, I'm not sure that I would have been the best person for the interview because I'm, I'm a little bit on the outside even to this day. Um, my family was one of the few to actually do public school clear from the beginning, like preschool clear up, because we actually do have a school system uh, in our religion. Uh, we just uh, didn't do it. And it, actually, I'm not 100% sure why that is. I've never really thought about that or asked my parents. It's just how my family always was. We always went to the public school system um and uh but yeah so we were always really involved uh out in the world type aspects mm -hmm. but also we were involved in our religion as well we weren't inactive by any means sure sure so yeah. what was at what point do you remember going to school and then having that general realization like oh geez maybe my family's a little bit different than everybody else's was there ever that moment <laughs> Uh, you know, I, that definitely had to have happened, but I honestly can't recall it. And that, that probably could be because the public school system that I went to actually had really good relations with my faith because um, we had a community just, it was just a few miles away from that. And there were, we actually had teachers that were from our community that taught at the public school system. Uh, so I think just because everybody knew each other, we had good relationships with the public school system. Uh, it wasn't ever anything that I felt like I had to be secret ever hide about. Just everybody always knew it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't I ever had them. And, you know, that's that's one thing about um, about the AUB. And, and for anyone listening, that's what we're going to cover today is, is the AUB. That's one of the things about the AUB that I think I kind of. I kind of always looked at and and thought was kind of cool was was while they definitely had their their faith community they weren't necessarily insular right they would they yep. get out there and and you could tell and and I thought that that did wonders right um because th that allows people to to kind of see that okay their family arrangements a little bit different but at the end of the day they're still people right yeah yeah, that's I, I've always felt like that's a big thing that really sets us. We're a community and a faith that if you were to see us on the streets, uh, there's nothing really recognizable about us. You just wouldn't you wouldn't know who we were. Right. And uh, we're definitely we're always very involved in um, 
in um, local government, um, creating jobs. The fact the area that I work at, I'm in the EMS system and work as a paramedic in central Utah. And this community, like half of our EMS is people in my religion for the whole community. Um, so we're, we're definitely in, very involved in some senses where we are very insular, with, you know, because there are some obvious things that really set us apart. But uh, um, I don't, I would think it's more cultural than anything and just what's happened over time. I wouldn't say it's been intentional, but we definitely started as more insular and then it's slowly become more and more uh, trying to get away from that. And I have my own personal opinions on that. Um, I feel like it's kind of, that's happened in a large part because I don't know the reason behind this, but I like to be as intellectually honest as I can. Uh, there's something about um, closed religions or cults. I, I say my religion is a cult by the actual definition it is. There's no way around it, <laughs> whether I, I, I believe in it, but it's still a cult. Um, and, but it feels like things like child molestation and a lot of uh, unfortunate things tend to happen um, in social systems like that. And so I feel like the AUB specifically has made a very um, strong effort to be involved and to be forward about things and communicate on things. Um, I know even the Attorney General of Utah, um, the leadership for my religion has some type of a relationship with that. I'm not quite sure, just to try and, and make sure the, the state knows we're not trying to hide things. We want to be very open about these issues because um, it does happen, unfortunately. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 mm -hmm. percent correct. And in, as as I decided to do this podcast, as, as I. As I kind of felt like I received the call to do this podcast, let me let me say it like that. Yeah. I I asked, you know, what what's the what's one of the end goals here? What What is it this we're going to try to do here? And one of it, a big part of it was we need to get out there and kind of tell our story, right? All of us, because if we don't, we're going to let somebody else tell our story. Okay. Exactly. And, and it's not going to necessarily be the truth. The other thing was, is this idea of, as I looked at what happened down in Colorado city, I, 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 came to understand real quick nothing good happens when you force a people into the shadows right because yeah. you force them into the shadows mm -hmm. and there's always some sort of dictator or tyrant who stands ready to exploit that and yeah. so the the best thing that can can be done is to to shine a light out there right the other thing is is as as mormon fundamentalists i believe that that we we do have a specific calling to keep truths alive right to to keep principle yeah. practice alive um and it's hard to do what the savior asked us to do in in being that that light on the hill if we're constantly putting a bushel over our light and so yeah as i started this podcast it was like okay we're gonna kick some doors down you know i, I want i want to be able to to let the light in so to speak a little bit because i think we do live in a time now well here's a good example um, me and uh, my wife's Amber and Tanya, we were sitting on the couch and we were, it was June. So it was pride month. And I just remember looking at, at, at the girls going, do you remember the time when our 
It was our marital situation that was the weirdest, right? And <laughs> so now I think we live in a time where where I think we we can, should, and probably have a responsibility to uh, let our light shine a little bit more than than maybe in the past. I, I feel like we owe a debt of gratitude to the former generation who kept these things alive for us. And now we're yeah. in a different time and we have a different mission now. And, and that includes being more open and, and being more willing to talk to people. Yeah. 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 Um, I think with that openness, I think my group does have a bit of a different mentality, um, which is actually one of the reasons I, I was kind of struggling with thinking about who might even do this interview. Um that I was saying, you might you might only get lucky if you get someone that's actually left the faith. Uh, the AUB has more of the mentality of um, we don't want to be public about it. Um, the uh, um, a lot of the TV shows nowadays are people from our religion, who most people of our own faith um, weren't very happy that they decided to make a TV show about it. Um, and we also don't want polygamy to be legal because we feel like it would be taken advantage of at that point. So we're actually happy that that uh, that it's not legal. I think it was temporarily, and then it became illegal again. I can't, I'm not quite sure where that is in the state of Utah right now. Um, right now, what it looks like is that they have um, they, they basically made it like a jaywalking ticket, right? Yeah. And and what what I get the feeling is is that they they use it in cases where they suspect that there is um abuse going on right so uh, if if you're just a guy with a couple wives trying to make your way in the world you're going to be left alone by and large <laughs> right if you yeah. if you uh if you're doing some shady stuff and, and, you know, the authorities get wind of it, well, then that's, that's the tool that they will use to go investigate it. Okay. That actually sounds true. Cause I was told that, uh, that the attorney general had told the leader of our faith, um, uh, he's passed away now, but when he was that, uh, that they would not be coming after the AUB at all. It was mostly just meant for, from what I understand, mostly meant for uh, fathers that are marrying um, minors or their yeah. sexual abuse and things like that, like something like a way to tax on more years. I don't understand all the laws behind it, but, but something yeah. along that lines. Yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly right. And you, I'll, I'll be honest, um, I won't name names, but there is someone from the AG's office here in Utah that listens to the podcast. Um, oh, cool. He's kind of he's kind of a fan of it. He's donated to the podcast. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a great guy. We've had a couple of of good conversations. And um, <laughs> when when I first got that email, though, I'm like, am I being punked? Right? Is it, that was my first <laughs> thought? Right? <laughs> but so I I called him up. But no, he's 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 a fan of the show. He he donates. He he subscribes. He's you know, and and we'll have really good conversations from time to time. And so. I, I'm kind of proud of that fact a little bit that it's been able to bridge some of those gaps a little bit and and awesome. and be able to be out there a little more. So so I've I've done a couple episodes here and and what we're what I've been doing, Josh, is we've we've done some episodes where um, we've talked a lot about the history of fundamentalism, really starting with like um, Musser. 
because yeah. I feel like a lot of us, um, not all, but I would say a good 95 to 97% of us, I would say, probably at some point trace our lineage back through muster when it comes to priesthood. And it's probably so, true. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and so, and the man was an absolute stud. Like, <laughs> like as, as I look at fundamentalism, I'm like, <laughs> that dude was the OG and just a stud. But anyway, as we've done that, we've gotten to the point to where, um, and, and I think this is where the AUB's history would pick up is, you know, Musser ordains uh, uh, Ruency Allred and some of the, that second group, I guess you could say. And so there's a, there's a split that happens between um, a lot of us up here in the North and some of us in the South, right? Where, where yeah. that split happens. And so I'd, I'd really like to, to pick up from there if, if you're comfortable doing that. Yeah, now I would like to point out, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Ruin is my grandfather, Ruin Allred. That you did mention that, which was absolutely yeah. cool when I heard yeah. that. So, <laughs> excuse me. So, so Ruin, Ruin gets ordained, uh, and and things kind of kick off from there. Now, immediately after that, I don't think he just sets up another church, right? He doesn't like automatically mm-hmm. form the AUB. It's it's kind of a of a a subset of of folks i guess i don't know you got thoughts on that yeah um well from my understanding of it it's not so much well first up i guess i should clarify that we're talking about the same thing here are you talking about like the group aub as like making an official religion or when we decided to become a legal entity well, kind kind of before that, what was what was the state yeah. of, of? I guess in those days it was called the All Red Group, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, most people on the outside actually still know us by the All Red Group over the AUB Group, I, I think. So, but yeah, the All Red Group as well, uh, especially at that time. Uh, so it. So this is my understanding of what happened. This is what I've been told. So, uh, ruling all, or excuse me, Joseph Musser wanted to call my grandfather Rulin Allred to the council. The members of the council at that time, John White Barlow, um, which is, excuse me, or is that uh, before or after I think about this? John White Barlow was a member of the council. Okay, so John White Barlow, who is actually my great-grandfather um, on a different side, was a member of that council, was it Lewis Kelts? You know these names, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yep. Um, not going to get them all at the top of my head. Uh, but so Joseph White decided to put my grandfather, Ruin Allred, on the council. Um, the entire council disagreed with that. I'm actually not sure why that reason is because Ruin Allred was a very respected person. So I don't think it had to do with his character. Um, but for one reason or another, that's what happened. Uh, essentially, Joseph Musser says to the council, well, God has told me that he is needs to be on this council, so you can either accept it or I can essentially just release you. So that we put him on the council, the council didn't accept it, and so Joseph Musser released everybody. And so that council is where you actually get the eventually what becomes the Warren Jeffs group. Um, for my understanding, it wasn't that bad when 
when they when they first started and kind of developed into what it was, especially after Warren Jeffs. Um, but then and then you get the all red group under my grandfather, Rulin, and then eventually they called more council members. And so we got this split all after my grandfather was called. Um, I was also, I've been also told that it wasn't, that wasn't the only thing. There was also a lot of tension under the surface that kind of boiled up and that just kind of really exploded it. Uh, things like underage marriages, arranged marriages and things along those lines. Right. And, you know, and I'm sure there's other things as well. You know, I talked with Stephen Nielsen and he's, he's on the, the priesthood council in uh in the nielsen nailers and they're they're a split from from first the uh the the colorado city group down there the flds then they split off from the second ward or centennial park and and he said something that i thought was was pretty profound and and i tend to agree with him is that we we don't have a lot of good records of that time period exactly that's the hard thing (laughs) and and so and so what, what I think we get a lot of times um, is kind of the he said, she said stuff at this point in the game, right? Where I don't, I don't think any of us really know what happened for sure. There obviously was something that happened, but it, 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 it definitely was a tumultuous time. So as, as the all red group before they're incorporated into the AUB, how are they functioning during this time? Mm. Uh, let's clarify that question. Um, when, so because you said the all red group when they're in the AUB, that those are the same group. What exactly are you trying to ask? What I'm saying is, is before they became the AUB, right? Before they incorporated it uh, into a church. Yeah. What, how, how is, how is the all red group functioning then? Oh, okay. Uh, so at that time, that would have been a lot more. Uh, people meeting at people's houses. In fact, there was one particular uh, really popular house to meet at. I can't quite recall the name. I'm trying to remember. Um, But it was very common for people just to meet at people's houses. Um, It was definitely, at that point, we were still a lot more disorganized. Um, I feel like most people that that uh, listen to your podcast probably already know this but just in case there's kind of like a a, a mentality that the fundamentalist mormons are not the church they're not going to organize as a specific church-like group Mm -hmm. and i think at that time we were a lot more still into that mentality and over the years uh, because you know groups congregate together that have the same mentality (laughs) slowly form these different groups uh, AUB especially right it, as I've read it, it sounds a lot like and and you can correct me if I'm wrong here it sounds like there's a lot of like extracurricular meetings that are happening you know so folks would go to the LDS church take sacrament um, get, get baptized do their endowments in, in the LDS temple and then they would have like extra meetings off to the side somewhere right and 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 that's kind of how they operated for for a number of years right yeah and and when i had a guy on on the podcast his name was uh charles orson who was old enough he was a young man when your grandfather was 
um, was still around and, and yeah. an older guy. And he talks about, and, and this is the part that I find fascinating is that in today's fundamentalism, if you will, we, we get this feeling of there must've been tremendous animosity between the LDS church and fundamentalists. But I think what we see there is that that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, there's a lot of evidence to support um, a couple of things. And, and, and uh, Charles Orson really, uh, really illuminated that, which is the, the LDS church right up to David O. McKay would send, you know, people towards Ruin Allred to talk about these early teachings. Um, have you heard something similar to that? Um, I don't know if it's the same context that you were thinking about, but I know that uh, um, if people from the church are listening to this, they're probably going to strongly disagree with this. Well, I'll just say this is what I've been okay. taught, and this is what I understand to be true. That I, I, I named the podcast what I did for a reason. I know what <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't know exactly up to what president it was, but for a very long time, people that were interested in polygamy would be sent by the apostleship of the church uh, to uh, people like Joseph Musser um, to uh, they couldn't they couldn't condone it because it's the church body, not the priesthood body. And, you know, we believe that those are separate. Uh, so essentially, they would just kind of uh, beat around the bush with the issue and say, well, if you really want to know anything, talk to so-and-so. And then they talk to Joe's brother, Joseph Musser, and, and find out, well, actually, it is okay to live polygamy. The church just can't condone it. And uh, that's quite a, quite a subject. I'm sure most uh, fundamentalists are quite familiar with that whole history and kind of that that beating around the bush is kind of comical, like the Reed Smoot here, the hearing cases. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I, I was fascinated by Joseph F. Smith. He was one that I always found fascinating because he would, people would approach him and be like, you know, Hey, we, we think we're being called to live plural marriage. And then, yeah. he, then he would say, well, if you can find someone to do it, then God bless you. Right. <laughs> the ceremony. And then they would be, you know, that that couple would go on their way and be like, well, what 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 the hell was that? And then like magically, a few days later, someone would be like, hey, you have an appointment to meet Muster, yeah. somebody else. So it was a fascinating time in Mormonism that that I wish I we, we had a few more records on. But, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where. It was it was like. Hey, you can't do that. Wink, wink, and then <laughs> off, off they went. Right. So yeah. <laughs> so I do find it find it very interesting. At what point does the quote all red group become the AUB? Mm. So that's something I definitely have no idea on. I'm not sure. From what I understand, though, um, the only reason that it happened was for legal reasons. I mean, there's taxes and things like that to come into account when you're doing things like tithing. Uh, so it it had to be done at some point. I know a lot of uh, a lot of people were upset about it, didn't want it to be. In fact, to this day, it's still not the ideal. It's not really we don't want it to be a legal entity, but you know, 
we believe in trying our best to obey the laws and work with the law and things like that. And so, so here we are. <laughs> right. Entity. Right. But, so do, do most members of the AUB kind of consider, consider the AUB to, to still be kind of, and, and this is the vibe I get. So if I, if I read this wrong out of, out of history, let me know. Yeah. But I, I get the feeling almost like in those early days and for a long time, the AUB thought of itself more like an auxiliary to the LDS church. Is that a fair assessment? Um, I think I might under, get a little bit where you're going with this, but I wouldn't say an auxiliary. The, the Probably the biggest, one of the biggest things that separates the AUB from other fundamentalist groups is that we still uphold President Nelson as the rightful president of the church. We still believe in the LDS church. We believe all the keys to the church are, are still there that it hasn't been, that hasn't fallen away. We believe it's gone off track, but not fallen. Um, so we support the church 100%, even if they don't support us, obviously. Um, but uh, but we believe that they hold the keys to the church, which would be subordinate to the keys of the priesthood, which is which we believe that we do hold the rightful keys to the priesthood, and that the one man, you know, we use that phrase, the one man who holds all the keys of the kingdom on this earth is the leader of, of our faith, um, and that President Nelson holds the rightful keys to president of the church. So two separate keys. Um. Or is it trying to go with that? Uh, but yeah, that's a big difference, uh, especially between the church. And uh, I don't know if other fundamentalist groups are the same in that. I would think they are. Um, maybe you can tell me. You might know more. But just that there's that separation between keys of the priesthood and keys of the church that that can actually be held by two separate people. I I know I know that um, there there's a couple groups that believe that. Mm -hmm the the LDS church has gone completely off the rails and so there's there's a few groups that that make the assertion that hey no their their time has passed and yeah. we we hold all the keys to everything um and then you have some who who feel like they just had an alternate organization functioning at the same time the church was right so that's maybe yeah. some, some of the LeBaron claims in some ways um almost you know two distinct churches if you will uh is, is oh that's the church of the firstborn um, exactly what they call it. yeah yeah exactly so, so mm -hmm. i think it it, it 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 you know ranges widely depending on on who you're talking to um i think most independents um probably look at it as you know the church is going to do their thing um and you know during that eight hour meeting there they were told not to set up another church, and so they're not going to do that, right? Mm. And just going to operate on the DL, have yeah, home church, yeah. or sneak in the back <laughs> and and partake of the sacrament at the LDS church. That's that's the other thing that's been fascinating about fundamentalism is that there's really not a one size fits all sort of a deal here, right? There's a lot, a lot of different types. Yeah. There's a lot of different yeah. types for sure. So I I think that covers pretty well the history that 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 i really wanted to dive into so so you have yeah. that that split that happens between um the the fundamentalists down south and up north um the the folks down south would become the flds 
And and I want to make it clear that that the FLDS weren't always uh, under the Jeffs family, right? Um, certainly, yeah, they used to be very different. Yeah. It, yep. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, when when Leroy Johnson was there, and then John Y. Barlow, it functioned a lot differently. And and you get the sense that those two men really loved their people. Yeah. And and I've made the assertion here before, and and I'm going to keep doing it because I think it's important because I think it's an an important overall thrust of the podcast is that it, it doesn't get bad for those folks down there until the short Creek raids. Right. Yeah. And then they force them into the shadows. And as soon as they're in the shadows, there's somebody lurking being like, I told you they're coming <laughs> for you. You got to listen to me to keep you safe. And that's where <laughs> things go bad. And then you have the folks up North, the all red group who'd become the AUB who eventually, um, kind of come become what they are today now ruin all red was was eventually assassinated um by yes, by ervil lebaron um who takes over at that point josh um so after uh ruin all red is um shot and i'm sure most people listening to this are probably familiar with that story um at that point his brother owen Allred um he takes over at that point so for the most part as far as succession goes it uh if nothing is said on the matter it will go to the most senior uh but uh but uh people can also be uh, appointed so the most senior definitely isn't uh, an always thing like it is in the lds church i'm not sure how other groups work with that as far as succession goes but uh i think that one though however was a matter of seniority being the oldest person so Owen Allred is the next person. Right. And and now there was a bit of a succession, I won't say crisis, but there was another another break-off group from... Uh, the- yeah, there is uh, pretty much every time a new person gets put up as, as someone right. of one, for sure. In that original, after after Ruin was assassinated, I believe that's where uh, the, the, the branch or the Peterson group begins as well, right? Where Gerald Peterson branches yeah. off. Was there... Ed- Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm actually not 100% sure of that. Um, that might be correct. I just, I have a friend from the Peterson group and we've never talked about that before, but that, that I could be correct. I'm not sure on that one, but I will say every time, every time there's new, uh, somebody appointed, it feels like some, there's like somewhat of a small break off. So I wouldn't be surprised. But that seems to be par for the course, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that really is indicative of, of the mentality. I think what's interesting is most fundamentalist religions are very, uh, very not just Mormonism, but in general tend to have more control. Um, but when you see these splits up always happening, I think that's indicative of something that's really unique. I don't know if this is how it is in the most fundamentalist groups and their way of thinking, but in ours, it really is. And that is the extremely strong emphasis on agency, free thinking, um, you know, doing what you want to do type of a thing. Um, so uh, so it, it makes sense that that would happen. Um, I feel like I don't know. Uh, I can't. I hate to say it that I know this, but based upon people that I have spoken to that have left other fundamentalist religions and they look at our religion, the AUB is extremely liberal, um, very liberal. In fact, I haven't read our, I've read our Wikipedia page, whoever wrote our information on there, 
and they said the world refers to us as the liberal branch of fundamentalism. Um, so yeah, very free thinking. So I think that makes sense that people break away every time we get a new person. Sure, sure. And and you, oftentimes I've wondered how much is a uh, how much of that is a product of doctrine versus personality, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what those what those splits entail, right? Is this a doctrinal issue or is this a a personality deal, right? Yeah. Um. And and you'd hope in in all that. And and as I've talked to fundamentalists, the thing that's always been surprising, and I think I'll always consider myself somewhat of an outsider to Mormonism always because I'm a convert to the LDS church. Then I became a fundamentalist is that um, there's more that unites us than separates us. Right. And sometimes it's a bit frustrating to be like, okay, we, we may not hug it out on Sundays, but every other day of the week, we should be looking at ways we can work together. Because as we're arguing about either who's the man or, you know, certain pet doctrines, if you will, and we're arguing yeah. about those, the real enemy's kicking down the door and setting the building on fire. Right. And so I'm like, yeah. you sometimes I, I think we 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 take that too far. And sometimes I've wondered if those splits are always necessary. Um it's it's made me wonder a little bit. So what what was Owen like? Do you have it? Do you get any sense of what yeah. Owen was like? So for the most part, oh, uh, brother Owen was before my time, but I was alive as a toddler. Uh, and uh, uh, let's see, what year did brother Owen die? I actually think he died in two. I want to say two thousand one, the year of the towers. I know he died on Valentine's Day, if I remember correctly. It seems like I remember it being Valentine's Day. Um, but, uh, but I, I do remember listening to him speak at, at our conferences. I remember he was typically a very soft-spoken person until he, until he talked about polygamy and wives and, and women and how husbands treat their wives. And he would just go ballistic. Like he was really a pulp pounder. Yeah. He would, he would literally just pound that pulpit and start yelling <laughs> at, really? at the men the men yeah <laughs> like at church and like everybody about, like talking about how he was just sick and tired of of random women coming to him complaining about their husbands and just that the husbands needed to be more loving and kind and i feel like as men we've gotten better better at being better husbands in our religion and i think a lot of that has to do with the culture and how we're a very a patriarchal system um but, but yeah he was a very loving individual they love to yell <laughs> um but i also remember uh being in a big line uh with a bunch with all the kids in my community and we all got to take a turn just to go up and, and shake his hand and give him a hug uh because he just he just really loved all the kids and he wanted to see everybody and get a chance to say hi and i remember just sitting in that line for like an hour with my mom and i don't know how old i was but i had to have been pretty darn young like five five somewhere between five and ten and i remember not being uh not feeling annoyed like generally wanting to go <laughs> to go up and see this guy because he was just a really really kind person yeah. i'm probably biased on that because it, he was a leader of my own religion but that's the impression that i had and everybody that i know definitely loved him as well he's a very good person that's awesome i i got i gotta be honest i wish i could have been there for some of those those pulpit pounding sessions where he's giving oh yeah uh, i remember right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so 
I, I'm I'm always a fan of when 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 they start singeing your eyebrows with a little bit of fire. I'm 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 kind of a fan <laughs> of that. That's that's where usually some good doctrine gets expounded. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so so, and and it's it's under Owen that that I believe the AUB comes into itself proper, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, d- during that during um that time does it begin to start feeling more like a church and less like a collection of individuals um are there building programs that happen do they start building do you guys start building temples or chapels or stuff like that you know i would actually say that it was probably uh before owen um obviously i was not alive at that time but i say that because under uh my grandfather ruling all red we get the community of pinesdale which which they really wanted to be a close-knit community there and just have their people there um so we have that church building there built we also have our rca building in bluffdale which um actually now that i'm thinking about that i think that I can't, I'm not sure what year that was, that was built, but I want to say it was when my grandfather was still president, but don't quote me on that. Okay. Um, so I, I would think that it was actually under Rulin Allred that we started to become, become a bit more like that. It obviously solidified more other Owen, brother Owen Allred, and we've gotten quite a number of other communities that have developed. We actually have quite a bit of communities. We're not just local to one spot, so. Now, Pinesdale's in Montana, is that correct? That's true. Uh, and uh, that's the community that I grew up in. We're pretty close to the nose. You know, Montana's got a face. Right. Yep. Right there by Idaho. Yeah, we're like the booger of Montana there. So <laughs> I've, I've always said that portion of, so I grew, I uh, spent my teenage years in Idaho, in, in Western Idaho. And I always thought that, that that section there looked like Joe Biden trying yeah. to stop somebody. So. <laughs> But um, what was that like growing up in, in Pinesdale? Now, let me, let me say this. Let me ask this before you answer that question. Was mm-hmm. Pinesdale a effort to live a united order or was it just a community? It was an effort to live the united order. Sure, yeah. Uh, but but uh, I was really young during that time. So I personally did not, uh, was not part of that effort. My dad was. And he really, really struggled. Uh, people that haven't lived United Order, yeah, well, actually, and people that have will definitely know this. Living United Order is darn near impossible uh, from with dealing with just being human. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, it takes my dad away from it. Not from our religion, he's still a member, but from trying to live United Order. So, you don't have to be in an order if you're in the AUB. Uh, but it's it's a vehicle to live the law of consecration, which we mm-hmm. do covenant to live the law of consecration. Well, yep. uh, but yeah, it, it was a united order. Um, at this point, Pinesdale, with the advent, going quite a bit forward in your history there with the advent of, uh, of uh, Lynn Thompson being appointed leader, there was a big split there. So now in Pinesdale, we have um, our group there. Um, what they would call the Marvites there, um, but Brother Marvin's dead. I don't know what they call themselves now. And then members of the church, and then um, just everybody else that's just not affiliated in any way. It's it's a very split community at this point. Gotcha. So 
is there still AUB up there in Pinesdale or is it? Yeah, there is. And they still have a fully functioning uh, group there and they hold their meetings there. We actually had our last conference uh, up there, which hadn't been done in quite a long time after the split. This last one was the first one to do that and to try and reestablish some of those relationships and keep things going there. Um, okay. So, yeah, yeah, there is a, a functioning AUB group there still. Awesome. And then if, if it's not, if, if, if you're, if you're comfortable with it, I know that, yeah. that maybe some of that might be, might, you might want to keep on the DL. So I, I want to respect that, but do you have other efforts like that in the AUB underway, different communities and that sort of stuff? Uh, just like as far as starting other communities goes. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I, that's perfectly okay to talk about. Uh, but uh, so the group I'm a part of um well, I wouldn't say it's new. I moved here when it was new because I wanted to be a part of a new community growing. And we're in um, Mount Pleasant, Utah. Um, so we have a fully functioning group here. I I can't think. Well, actually, that's not true. Another group after that started out in Moab. We got a group there. Um, and I think we actually, uh, that one's probably expected to really start growing here coming up shortly. Um, they're not like right in the middle of the city by any means. They're way on the outskirts from what I understand. Um, but uh, um, I can't think of any other communities right at the top of my head, though. Um, I do want to say this just because I feel like a lot of people, because I mentioned, because I did say Moab and gave a specific city, just in case people from Moab ever listened to this. Uh, people, Because I, I feel like people always kind of, get a little ballistic when they find out a polygamous community is moving to their area uh until they get to know us i look at mount pleasant the area that we grew up in the community does not want us here at all and they made it very well known um from being kicked out of the church uh when some of our members wanted to go there just to attend a sacrament meeting they were kicked out um to uh outright rallies and things in the newspaper um, meetings, town hall meetings, and things like that. It was pretty crazy here for a while. Uh, but over the years, I feel like we've really earned their respect and their trust, and um, and and vice versa. We take a large role in um, jobs here. Um, some of the biggest companies here, from people from our work, we're, we try to be a lot more involved in the actual local government here. We're not secretive. And uh, so I feel like um, we just, we have really good relations now. And I feel like that's happened with every place that we've established. We see that same thing in Pinesdale, like I was mentioning earlier, we have really good relations with the local school system and people just know us. They just, um, it's not something we had to be secretive about. So if people from Moab are listening to this and they and they want to worry about that, I wouldn't worry about that with the AUB. You'll find that we're, we're a lot more of a liberal group. Um, and by liberal, I mean liberal compared to Mormon fundamentalism, not liberal politically. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's an important connotation. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, we're very conservative politically. <laughs> yeah. No, and Mount Pleasant's beautiful mm -hmm. area. I, I, I'm it a is. I'm a land surveyor by profession, and I've done a couple of surveys out by Indianola and Mount Pleasant and that area out there, and it's always been a great area to be in. Yeah. Um, and and I'll say this as well, Josh, is that 
I think that's pretty common across the board where people get nervous when they hear about, you know, this polygamous sect coming into to their community. As, as I yeah. talk, as I talked with that gentleman from uh, um, the the branch, the Peterson group, they have uh, a settlement out in just outside of Tonopah. And at first it was a little dicey. Right. And then as they got settled and, and you know, they saw, hey, they're just trying to make their way through through the world like the rest of our lives oh yeah but you know it really is understandable i feel like the aub has a lot of understanding because we do get that stigma of warren jeffs that's what's in the news and the fathers love their dad their daughters and they're not going to want their daughters around a a a bunch of the no a bunch of dirty horny men that are just looking for a bunch of women and that's kind of the stigma that a lot of people do with that um, unfortunately which no, obviously is not the case. No, no I, th- I think you're 100% correct. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that Jeff's is going to have to answer for in the hereafter is that mm-hmm. not only did he make his people's life hard and miserable, which was, mm-hmm. which is enough, but he, he made it tougher for the rest of us, right? Yeah, really did, yeah. He, mm-hmm. he made it tougher for the rest of us to, 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 to make our way through the world a little bit. And I, I feel like in some, some respects, it's now incumbent upon guys like ourselves and, and other fundamentalists, or I should say the vast majority of fundamentalists who aren't into creepy crap to, <laughs> to, to rectify that, that problem now. Right. Um, exactly. I know, I know when I, when I became a polygamist and a fundamentalist, uh, I had a buddy who said, so are your wives going to wear those, those prairie dresses? And I was like, only on Tuesdays. I mean, just Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah so yeah um but no i i think we got to work to do there definitely in in repairing some of the 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 optics if you will for sure absolutely so after after owen passes who takes over then is that when lynn thompson becomes becomes the the president um almost so after um after brother owen passes away then then we have um brother lemoyne jensen okay um, I want to say Joseph or Lemoyne is actually not his first name, but we just called him that. Um, I'm not sure. We always refer to him as Brother Lemoyne, Brother Lemoyne, though. Uh, he was um, one of those very soft-spoken people as well. Um, he's not somebody that I heard yell, really yell, but he but he definitely spoke with vigor and passion. Um, uh. But he was also somebody that I looked at and I thought, wow, that's somebody I hope I can aspire to be like someday. Just a very mm-hmm. loving person. He didn't, he never knew me, but I, one uh, personally, I never knew him personally, but one incident always stood, stood out, stands out to me when I was a lot younger, um, just randomly running into church and him coming up to me and just shaking my hand and then just saying that he loved me. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, him just saying that to me just always uh, just always stuck with me. He was a very loving person. So, That's awesome. Yeah, I, I I wish I could have known could have known him more. But I'm somebody that's a little bit more. Um, I'm a very involved in my religion, but as a lay member, as far as the higher up stuff goes, I'm just uh, I'm not. I I don't know a lot of those things that go on. So well, I didn't I- get the chance to really know him. <laughs> I, I think that's indicative of Mormons everywhere. We want to do our callings. We want to, we want to serve, but at the same time, we yep. want to keep 
our head down so we don't get something worse called. <laughs> so, so I think I think that's that's ubiquitous across all of Mormonism. Um, so so how long was was Lemoyne Jensen the the president of the AUB? Uh, I'm definitely not sure on the exact number of years on that one. Um, but if, uh, if brother Owen died in 2001, which I don't want to be quoted on that one because I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. This what's in my head. Um, and brother Lynn was put in, in not too long ago. So brother Lynn has passed away also. Uh, and he only served for like maybe three years, I want to say. So, yeah. So almost 20 years, I would imagine. Um, Brother Lemoyne uh, was the head of the priesthood in our group. Maybe not quite 20 years. Just trying to run through that in my head. No, I'm no, not sure you're, you're good. And and the dates yeah. are, are, aren't are really important. We don't memorize them. <laughs> yeah, no, the the, yeah. the dates are, are, aren't important. It, it's it's yeah. what happens during maybe their administration. Because and, mm-hmm. and again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's during um, um, Lemoyne Jensen's administration that you start to see that there's this, for lack of a better term, fundamentalist moment beginning to happen. Because it's under his administration that that we see shows like Sister Wives come out. Yep. I'm yep. Not yeah. Yeah. And yep. so she was. Sorry, I was just going to say. Yeah, I think Robin's actually my cousin uh, from one of my other mothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, an outstanding person. Can I? I just want to say this because I I I read so many so many rude things that people say on YouTube, and it just bugs sure. me to know, like people that aren't in polygamy, like they don't understand how hard it is. And like I look at that family, and I look at how they're breaking apart, and all the negative comments are said about it. Obviously, there's faults that happened. I I I feel like Joe Cody says some things that I think, oh, I probably wouldn't have said that. But people that live this way of life, and obviously you know as well, like it's it's not a cakewalk. It is super hard, mm-hmm. and it's just. And uh, I feel like people in the world they just like they just don't get it. You, like you don't understand how hard it is. So I feel sad for the family, and and uh, Robin especially because I kind of know her as an outstanding person with great character. It's it's sad to see what's happening with that. Gotcha. Uh, yeah they're in our religion but but here's the thing right and and this is one thing i i do want to give props for is that they were some of the first that that kind of started kicking down some doors a little bit right yeah yeah and and i think that that i i do think that maybe there was a price to be paid there unfortunately because it's never easy to live under public scrutiny um yeah Especially and, that way of life on top of it. It's, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and the, the other thing I would say is that as I've talked to other people who have been on similar reality shows, um, I find that can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast. Well, good news. We're on Patreon and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the slightly rowdy package, allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up package, where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, 
plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DeseretFlag.com. I've said this before and I really mean it. Mormonism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. As such, it has its own vernacular and practices, but also its own symbols. And those symbols become even more important and prominent when you look back into our history. Perhaps one of the most recognizable symbols of Mormonism is the Deseret flag. This is the flag that I use as cover art in this podcast. This was also used for a good chunk of time during the Pioneer era in Utah. Now, today we have people who want to replace the existing Utah flag with some other progressive monstrosity. Well, I think it's damn past time that we start pushing back here a little bit in Utah. Our friends at Defending Utah are here to help you with that. Now, if you go to DeseretFlag.com, you can now purchase your own Deseret State flag. It's time here that we start making ourselves known and join the resistance against those who seek to rewrite our state's history. Go to DeseretFlag.com or check out the link in this episode's page show notes and get yours today. The, the, the producers of that show have a vested interest in there being drama. Yep, right? absolutely. I, I've often wondered how many of those things in the course of everyday life would be things that would be worked out really easily when the cameras weren't around. But because they have to generate drama in order to keep <laughs> eyes on the TV, it, it exacerbates problems. Yeah, I thought about that, too. Like just the fact that they know they're on camera is going to alter how they're going about the problem. Yeah, uh, yeah very true. Yeah, no, it was it was a brave, bold move that they did. I mean, as much as I'm all for being open and honest and transparent, the last thing I want is a bunch of cameras running through my house. I'm I'm kind of grumpy anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, if I came home from work, you know, sweating outside at, in July at 90 degrees and I see yeah. a camera in my doorway as I first walk in, I'm probably going to give that thing, you know, the old shake as I walk through and then, you know, tell me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't have dared. I wouldn't dare to do that in a million years. Our way of life is so hard. And honestly, I just wouldn't want the world to see me in my weaknesses like that because pro marriage brings out your weaknesses really it bad. Does. It's it, really it, hard to overcome. It, 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 it's the perfect mirror for exposing some of your flaws, right? Whether that's selfishness, whether that's, um, your temperament, any of those things. And, and, and if you're humble enough, I think, and willing to take the criticism that comes your way at times, it can be a very beautiful vehicle to refine a person. Absolutely. But, but you, I, I think it's that humility that is, is so desperately needed. I know, I know it's when, when I'm living, when living plural marriage, I definitely, it helps me become a better husband, right? Because yeah. sometimes it's easy when it's just you and another another wife to just want to stand your ground, right? It's just two people arguing. When there's someone else who's like, you know, you might be wrong here. You may want to check <laughs> at the door. It causes a little bit of more introspection and like, wow, maybe I am being an ass, right? <laughs> and so, and so you 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 step back and, and you you have to take stock of who you are. And, and then, um, and then make those changes. The, the blessing comes though, I think Josh, 
in that, and I don't know what your experience has been in those times. I've had that self self that, that introspection, a lot of growth happens and, and love increases, but Mm. if you're not humble enough to, to be called out on your BS, so to speak, it can, it can be a rough, a rough thing. for Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And I'm sure pretty much everybody in LDS history has heard at one point or another that, that uh, polygamy damn more people than it will save. Uh, it, it, if, if you're not on top of the game and you're not actively trying to be a better person, actively trying to be humble and actively communicating, uh, you're going to get ripped apart. Uh, it, it really forces you to, to either make the choice to be that patient, loving husband and father, or to go the other way because you can't handle the pressure and give up, blow up. And unfortunately, with what happens, I dare say most polygamous families, they end up breaking apart because there's just an insurmountable of stress, um, emotional pain for the wives, um, insurmountable stress for the husbands. Um, it, it is really, really stressful when your wives disagree. In fact, it's more stressful when your wives disagree with each other than it is when all of your wives disagree with you. It's like your wives can be on the same page. <laughs> you can deal with that. <laughs> right. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it, it makes you or breaks you. And you really have to be on top of it and trying to be a good person and build your character. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. It, it's not what people think. It's not like, the husband is just the head of the family. They say, do this, and everybody obeys their will. Uh, it's it's really trying to communicate and have a functioning unit between the husband and the wives. It's yeah. hard. Yeah, no, I, I get emails from time to time. And, and once I got an email from a lady who, who, ba- who basically <laughs> called me every name you could think of, and then I was like, you should come take a look at my house, right? If you yeah. think... That, that I'm the, you know, heavy handed patriarch that runs around here with my chest out. You should <laughs> take a look at how often I get my ass handed to me. So, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely, but, but I also want to say this, it is a lot of work, a lot of responsibility, but the, the blessings that come from living this way are just absolutely divine. I don't know how else to put it. Um, it 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 absolutely is divine. Um, and and if if when when there's unity, it's I've often sat back and looked, and and I'm really blessed. I should say this up front: I am super blessed. Um, my wives get along great. They really and do. that makes the world of difference. Yeah, <laughs> ton of difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know the. And sometimes they get united around, you know, playfully poking at me a little bit, right? Like they call the podcast <laughs> my third wife, right? They, yeah. <laughs> they, they're, 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 they're very good natured and and they support me and and what I got to do, um, and and really they're 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 so much better than I am, Josh. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, you two should do the podcast. People would like you a lot better than they like me. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm really blessed that way. Um. All right, move, moving back along here. So Lemoyne dies, and then Lynn Thompson takes over. Anything of within the AUB during his administration that's really noteworthy? 
so that actually was an extreme upheaval in our religion. Really? Uh, when, yeah, that's where we get the split in Pinesdale that I was talking about earlier. Um, but uh, so Brother Lynn gets called, and he's actually called not by seniority, but by direct calling from Brother Lemoyne before Brother Lemoyne passes. And Brother Lynn just lost it in tears and said right off the spot if you appoint me it will completely destroy our religion and uh brother lemoyne said that's that's what uh, heavenly father's telling me to do is that you need to be i'm not sure why but you're called and the reason behind why brother lynn said that that it would split our group up um was because he had gotten in trouble with tax um I don't know if it would be called tax fraud legally, but he took tithing money and used it for personal reasons and got himself into a lot of trouble. Um, he, he, he personally took himself, he made a public apology about it. He took the legal consequence, everything that had to have been done um, when it first happened, not after, like immediate after it had happened. This wasn't like he did it after he was called. Um, and there were also allegations of um, uh, allegations of sexual misconduct that had happened years previously. Um, so it caused a massive upheaval, a very big one for that reason. Um, I would imagine more so for the sexual misconduct, of course, because the AUB has tried so hard to get away from that that stigma. Um, but nevertheless, he was and. And uh, my experience with him being uh, being in charge was that he did a good job of it. I know with the stuff that he was accused of, he wrote letters to those people. They're actually public domain, last I remembered. Um, I can't remember the website at the top of my head, but I think those letters are public domain, the ones that he wrote and the ones that the, um, that the lady wrote back to him. Um, and... Uh, and uh, I am told that he also turned himself into police just to make sure that the AUB was being upfront with the government about everything. Um, so it's my understanding he did everything he could. Uh, as far as the nature of what actually happened and things like that, I'm honestly not sure. sure. I've always adopted the mentality. We have this thing in our religion um, that came under Joseph Muster, actually. So maybe you've heard of it. Like the, It's called the Oath of Brotherhood. We just don't believe things about people unless we've spoken to them. Um, so my mentality on it has been, I can't really talk to Brother Lynn about this directly. I can't directly figure this out. So I'm going to choose to, uh, I hate to say not believe it, because that's a dangerous mentality to go down when it, go, when it comes to sexual abuse or misconduct. Um, so... If I'm going to be 100% honest, that's kind of a cognitive dissonant area uh, in my life there. Like, it didn't really match up. I felt like most likely there was some stuff uh, that happened, but I don't know 100%. And I just, I just kind of felt like I don't know the reasons behind it. I don't feel like worst case scenario, he did do things, have sexual misconduct. Um and then I had to think about, well, would that take away the keys, the actual physical keys? Because in Mormonism, we're taught that the keys can be passed on, but you can still be a bad person and 
and but still have those keys to pass on you know they just wouldn't be able to actually exercise the rights of the priesthood because those operate on the principles of righteousness right but everything i saw of him was he was a really good person and like i i read read like the letters and i feel like it it wasn't like rape or like outright sexual misconduct but more just really uncomfortable situations and so i i honestly just don't know what to think about all that it has been an area of cognitive dissonance in my brain that i kind of had to work through but uh but uh i don't feel like i I was never somebody that thought oh my gosh i don't know if i'm in the right place here i I just, I, I believed in the AUB so strongly that in my brain and the way I processes, processed it in my head was, uh, I'm just going to stay here. I don't know the answers to everything, but God will work it out in the end. You know, just God, keep it trudging on. And that's you, what I did. I, I, I need to, I need to throw kudos your way. It takes, it takes a little bit of fortitude to say it nicely, to be able to, to admit that, that there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. Cause that's yeah. an uncomfortable place mm-hmm. to be. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You feel <laughs> there myself a few times. That's, mm-hmm. that's not an easy place to be whatsoever. Um, yeah. And so to, to be able to admit that is fantastic. I, I do, you know, I can't speak to what happened under Lynn Thompson's administration. Um, a lot of what you said was, was pretty new to me. Um, yeah, I think the fact that he turned himself into the authorities, I, I think, is is admirable, right? That, yeah, yeah. My understanding is that he went, he really, really pushed to be forward, take accountability for the past mistakes that he had made. I, I think my thing experience, is, he, he was a really good leader from what I saw. Yeah, I was going to say, if anything, it shows a love for his people to 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 mm-hmm. go out there and say, you know what, this is on me, and yeah. And, and not my people so so when when he passes who takes over then uh so yeah so brother lynn um i can't remember how many years it was it had to have only been like three years but he all of a sudden just it was he did have congestive heart failure uh but he honestly thought he was gonna live for a long time but he just randomly died really quick it was really sudden um and then at that point we have brother dave watson who is still currently the head of the priesthood for our group and early Dave Watson uh, is a heavily loved individual. He really appeals to my generation, the millennials and the upcoming generations. Um, he is just, he'll say a lot of things that you just wouldn't expect someone like that to say. Like, uh, like I love watching Top Gun on Sunday and things like that. <laughs> yes. um, he, he, he's uh he's a, a very forgiving person like just his whole nature um he's not intense by any means uh he's he's really liked by our generation and tends to rifle some feathers with the older generation <laughs> uh but, but i absolutely love him i think he's awesome he's just he's someone he's probably the first uh leadership uh person that's the head of our priesthood that i wish i had known as like best friends growing up gotcha Great. Gotcha. But he's been uh, in charge. I think it's only been like one year now. I can't remember. I think it's only been one year. So not long. Okay. All right. Good deal. So that kind of catches us up on the history side. Now I'd like to talk about a little bit, if you're comfortable with it, 
maybe some of the culture and the practices around the AUB. So I'm, I'm just going to throw some questions out there and, and we'll kind of run with those. So uh, Adam God doctrine, is that something that you guys believe? Uh, Yeah, that is definitely a big difference between us and the LDS church. We absolutely 100% believe that, you know, it is something that's, uh, um still considered pretty sacred to us so i wouldn't say it's like heavily spoken about like a church and things like that um but yeah it's definitely one of the core things that separate us for sure it's a beautiful doctrine it really is man yeah i've uh i did a two-part series on the adam god doctrine with with uh jacob vidrain who has a who i felt had a really good handle on it and that that was some of the higher higher uh listened to in most download ep- episodes and and it was like the first two and awesome. and and some of some of the response i got back were absolutely amazing I, and mm-hmm. and there's a large segment of my audience that is uh, card carrying devout lds folks and and some of the best feedback i ever got was now the endowment makes so much more sense now that i I understand this, right? And and when you get mm-hmm. down to the, to things like the endowment, it, it really is a master class in Adam God doctrine, right? That's what it's really all about. And uh, it, it, it to to me, it's just such a beautiful doctrine. It made God so much more approachable. Um, yeah, it, it, he wasn't some distant figure somewhere. Now he was, he was a dad. Yeah. Right? And and I yep. think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I've always felt that way as well. It does make it it makes it a lot more personal. Um, it's definitely a blasphemous concept to the rest of the Christian world. Sure, sure. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, but it's definitely beautiful uh, in Mormonism. And I wish I wish the LDS Church uh, took more of a dive into that to kind of. Get a, get a little bit more of an understanding on that. I feel like for the most part, the LDS church, at least on the scholarship aspect of the community of the LDS church is finally saying, yeah, Brigham Young did teach this. It's no longer like denied like it used to be. Uh, but, uh, but I still feel like it's not understood by any means. No, no. And, and what's been frustrating a little bit is once you once you understand Adam God doctrine, it opens up a bunch of other things too. Like right now, I know one of the things that some of the sisters in the LDS Church are really struggling with is is who's Heavenly Mother, right? And and <laughs> yeah, funny. I'm like, well, we we kind of have those answers, right? Like I I feel mm-hmm. like in some ways, um, fundamentalists are the monks, if you will, um, of Mormon, right? Because <laughs> because yeah. we're keeping some of those old um sacred truths alive right and and my hope is is that we can actually be of service to some of our lds brothers and sisters when those questions come up right and we can say you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. here's something to look at maybe this will help and you know i'm i'm also a guy who believes that um i i would rather see someone stay in the lds church if if that's their desire than to just throw the baby out with the bathwater with with mormonism so if if the podcast helps people make sense of some of these older doctrines and and that allows them to continue to serve in the lds church and continue to to walk that mormon path i'm all for it yeah yeah because 
because some of these things have been shrouded in mystery for so long that they become scary. And then you yeah. have you have anti-Mormon individuals who will use just small excerpts from a larger sermon to to use it against us almost. And so there's there's one of those it's one of those things where I'm like, we just need to embrace this. Yeah, yep, I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. How about a missionary program? Do you guys have a missionary program? Uh, so that's kind of like, uh, so because we believe the LDS church holds the rightful keys to the priesthood. So that would be a key that operates under the church, Okay, uh, the ecclesiastical unit. So, so we believe the missionaries are doing that work. Um, I, I, I desperately want to be a missionary. I, I think that's just so, so awesome, but I've just, I've never, never gotten that opportunity. So they're doing that basically with the AUB. And I would imagine this is probably the mentality for most fundamentalist Mormons. It's, it's basically our job and our work. The work is also a name that we're known by to keep everything alive, um, irrespective of the LDS church, which is kind of how it started with, with 12 marriage, because we believe in the fullness of times we believe that all the laws that have ever existed, all the laws under Heavenly Father are supposed to be brought down now. And so basically it's our job to keep it alive. And it's kind of our prophetic narrative that eventually the LDS church and the priesthood will be reunited again and we'll be back to one unit. Okay. All right. So how how do you guys gain converts then? Is this mainly people coming from the LDS church then who have these questions and they reach out to you yeah definitely mostly from the lds church we've gotten a couple people that come outside the lds church but generally what happens if you're outside the lds church is you're told to go join the lds church uh because uh for a couple reasons because you need to have an understanding of the basics faith repentance you know um things like that and the lds church is amazing at teaching those things and building character and just being trained to be good people um so they would stay there for a while and then they do the discussions that we do which isn't your typical like church discussion where you have four discussions and then you know the choice to be baptized after that uh with us it's a very long process I don't know how long I would imagine it's got to be like six months to a year Um, because it essentially what happens is people join our religion and they have a go at it and then they enter polygamy and they just weren't at all prepared for it and it just destroys their families. So there's a lot of hesitancy. People have to be really sure that they're a hundred percent committed and really believe it. Um, so it's definitely not easy to join the AUB. It's a, as far as time, what time goes, it, it takes a while. Um, but yeah, mostly from the church though, people get their hands on things like the Journal of Discourses. That's actually how my dad was converted uh, because he, he's in your situation actually, he converted to the church and then started reading Journal of Discourses and slowly started getting curious about things he was reading there and eventually found the AUB and the rest is history. So how do how do people that come out of the LDS church usually find you then? I mean, is it is it hard to track down someone from the AUB to to talk with folks or? Uh, absolutely not. Yeah, we're. Uh, I guess it might be difficult to to know a member when you see them because we generally 
are for the most part kind of keep it to ourselves um uh, i'm an exception to that i've always just loved talking about religion so i'm a lot more open than your average aub member um i would imagine it it's got to be pretty easy though uh, um between just finding a name on google i mean these days with the internet you can do you can find pretty much anything you want uh and um but our community is also they're very obvious that they're there and we're not like a close-knit community people know that we're there and see us around town in the public all the time so it, it i'm not an outsider so i can't say but it, i don't i don't see how in the world it could be difficult to get a hold of somebody from the aup if you were interested in in uh, pursuing that road gotcha gotcha okay now i'm going to ask about one that might be kind of a little more sensitive okay. and, and if you don't want to talk about i'm i'm good with that but curse of cain you guys a believer in in the curse mm. of cain in that um yeah i hesitate to say okay well let me just say this i'm going to say what i think okay my feelings on it Okay. Um, and just leave the AUB out of it specifically. These are my beliefs based on what I've read and my understanding. <laughs> All right. Um, so I do believe in the curse of Cain. Um, so there is that issue with the Negro holding the priesthood um, that we don't believe that they have rights to the priesthood at this time. Um, we're definitely not racist though i know people are going to think how is that not racist uh but we believe that it all comes down to choices that they made in the pre-existence um so it's not like they're they have this curse because they're black they have this the curse because of choices that were made in the pre-existence it's all a matter of choice and consequence um We've actually had black people in our religion in the past, believe it or not. People would be really surprised to hear that. Um, we're very loving towards them. There's no racism. It's just the fact that we believe that it's the consequence of choices that were made. Gotcha. That's all that comes down to it. I, I don't, I mean, people don't think negatively about black people. I mean, except for maybe one or two kooks that are in our religion, but you get that everywhere in the world. Kooks everywhere. <laughs> in yeah. Doesn't matter which reflection. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I can see from the worldly perspective that we would be classified as racist or alt right. But the feelings that we have towards the Black community just don't exemplify that at all. And uh, we have nothing to say about loving things. That's, that's been my experience being in the AUV. But actual curse wise, yeah, yeah, we do believe in it still. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, moving on. What about uh, temples? Do you guys have temples? Um, so we have kind of okay. So we have our what we call an endowment building, where it's not an official temple. Um, I can't remember which ordinance it was, but there's a specific ordinance that separates um, or room. Maybe it's a room. I can't recall. Like the the center room, like the holy of holies. Um, but, uh, so it's not an official temple, but we do all of, uh, ordinance work there, like baptism for the dead, marriage ceilings and things like that. That being said, I, I, I'm not hundred percent sure on this, but I think there might be 
some type of reason that we don't have a temple, like a legal reason, because we're Mormon and you have the LDS church, I'm not sure, because we actually have a temple in Mexico, uh, like an official temple, but that's the only one. Uh, and so I'm not 100% sure on all the reasons behind that or, or why that is. So, so one in Mexico. So it's more of an endowment house that you have in the States. Is that a fair, fair way of looking at it? That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, are, is vicarious work for the dead performed in that endowment house or is that only for the living? Uh, we, yeah. So we do the vicarious work for the dead, baptisms, um, the uh, uh, endowments for the dead, everything. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. And then that mm-hmm. one in Mexico, is that one still operating? It is. So we have a, like I mentioned earlier, we actually have quite a few communities, but we have a good sized community down there in Mexico. Uh, I have not been there, but the leadership goes there quite often. Obviously they have to. Um, but uh, um, I know members there cause they, they marry like a person from the States. There's relations that form and they end up moving over to the U S um, amazing people. There's something about Mexican people over in Mexico where they're just extremely loving people. Uh, different personalities for sure yeah yeah absolutely um so let let me let me go here then with with that Mm -hmm. with those other communities is there like is it like for for my lds listeners here is it would it would there be leadership down there like a state presidency and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and and then they report to to leadership in utah is that kind of how that functions yeah that's exactly how it would function with some differences, we're talking about um, LDS Church and how they would listen to them listening to this. Uh, some diff- one of the big differences are is that we don't believe the the bishop is the would be the person in charge over the area. Uh, they would just be over the temporal affairs, and then we have a local high priest council, like your three high priests that run the area, and then the president of that local high priest council is the person that's in charge over that specific area. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it, but how now, and, and this is getting a little more s- sacred. So I, I expect a very general answer here. Sure. Are second anointing still available within the AUB? Um, yeah, actually I would say that, 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 uh, probably wouldn't be something that I should answer because I don't know if I should answer it or not. <laughs> okay. Because like you're saying, it's definitely one of those sacreds. Um, and and uh, even with a, a vague general idea of it, uh, I'm honestly not sure on how far would be appropriate to go with, with, uh, with talking about the specific one other than what it is, because in that context, we can just talk about history. Because um, I, yeah, I just wouldn't know what would be appropriate to say or not. No, no. Um, I, I will say, I will say we believe in it. I'll say that. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Um, so, so here's another touchy subject, but I think it's one that, that deserves some attention. Yeah. What about placement marriage? Is that something that's practiced in the AUB? Uh, so when you say placement, you're talking about like arranged. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has, it has happened in the past, but not by force. And it, I have not heard of it happening in my day and age at all. Um, what I understand, my, my grandfather Rulinal read was just had 
um, in our belief, a lot of revelation from the Heavenly Father. And he would literally just do get an inspiration and, and say, you know, this couple, like you guys, um, I had a revelation, you guys are supposed to be together. Um, so my grandfather had that a couple of times. I'm told that it was not common by any means. Um, but now that just does not happen. I've never heard of that happen. I've definitely heard of some like recommendations. Like they'll say, you know, this lady over here, her husband died, she's a widow. She needs somebody to care for her. You know, do you have room in your family type of a situation? You're talking it out and working it out. Um, but as far as the actual arrange, like Heavenly Father says, you're supposed to be together. So you have to be together. That's never happened in the AUB. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe it happened under uh, my great-grandfather, John Y. Barlow, before the FLDS-AUB split. And I think that's kind of one of those things that was causing some tension. Because under John Y. Barlow, it was arranged marriages, and they, they wouldn't even tell, tell the dad. It was just like, it's just what it was. Uh, so that caused a lot of tension, obviously. So, so can I ask how how most of of those marriages then what what's dating and courtship like then in in the AUB? It's very very case specific. Pretty much, I think every every one of our leaders has at one point or another said said there's no one right way to enter a polygamist relationship. Everybody does it differently. There's different circumstances involved. Uh, but I would say for the first wife. It's very, very run of the mill how you would expect, you know, you're, you're dating, you're going out, uh, you know. Um, uh, I feel like we probably have um, much different standards compared to the world. There'll be a lot more in line with the LDS church, you know, with conduct and things like that. Um, but then when it comes to, oh, I should say we are very traditional and we believe asking the father for the lady's hand in marriage. So we still do that. Even with the first wife, it's considered quite disrespectful if you don't do that. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, my father-in-law, when I came and when I came and asked him, um, he was, he was very ecstatic and it was just, it was just, it's just a sign of respect to help build that relationship between us. And I knew he was going to say yes anyway, so I didn't care. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but with the, Second, after that, when it comes to the polygamous marriages, there's a lot more protocol that has to be involved. It's a lot more stressful, obviously. Um, and because you're a married man, you know, that's dating another woman. So conduct and things like that is a lot different. And with those situations, the it's recommended that you talk to your dad and get his advice and even approval. Um, though I, it seems like that's more of a recommended thing. I've never heard anybody say that you need to do that. Um, but you do need to talk to the father, the lady's father, and you also need to speak with, um, with uh, our, our apostleship, people that are in charge of our religion. You need to speak with somebody on that council specifically and hold a meeting with them. It's very intimidating and scary. <laughs> At least it was for me. So bet i'll so, bet yeah so you have to go through hoops so as as once so i'm i'm trying to make sense of this so you 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 get the desire that you want to to enter the principle and then at that point do you 
do you find out if this this lady would be amicable to it or do you talk to her first or do you go directly to the lady's father and the priesthood council? How does this work? Yeah, definitely not a one size fits all. Um, I I've heard of all three of those different ways. Um, um, it feels like for the most part and in my case also is you just meet at church and somebody strikes your interest and one thing leads to another. Um, so with my second wife, um, I actually, what I, I actually felt uh, interested um, years before I even told my first wife, and I chose to do that based upon polygamy, um, practicality things that my dad taught me about, about polygamy. Uh, like you don't go looking for other wives. Sure. Um, so, but down the road, um, I uh, I have a degree in singing and uh, I did a singing class. Uh, I was going to have people in my community. I was going to, you know, just do a little seminar on how to sing. And she joined it. And after one thing led to another, I ended up finding out she joined it just so she could get a chance to somehow instigate that, that starting point because she was interested also. And it, it's really awkward and hard to know like it's because it's not traditional like you're interested in someone you just go up and say i'm interested in you because you have another wife there and it could be disrespectful or offensive it's really hard to know exactly how to broach it so that's what she did um she ended up telling my wife that she was interested in us and then my wife was oh well we're interested in you because i had told my wife at this point and uh and uh uh so, oh yeah, one thing led to another after that. That was a, a pretty hard process. Most pro marriages are hard processes to go through. Uh, her her dad really didn't think much of me at the time, <laughs> gotcha. uh, which I don't blame him because I just moved to the area. I lived in a trailer and uh, was kind of a bum at the time. And uh, but I had to get myself together more. Gotcha. So yeah. And and so is, is this process like a year long process to to be able to to enter into the principal or is it does is it just really case by case? It is very case by case. Um, if if there is any tension or people that are disagreeing, they'll ask you to wait. It's usually a year. That's what it was for me, um, and just to kind of see what happens and let things kind of evolve rather than just proceeding and breaking apart of family. Um, so yeah, because in my case, because my second father-in-law was not gung-ho about it, uh, he asked us to wait a year. Um, I actually got really lucky though, because I didn't end up waiting a year. I ended up waiting half a year because something occurred um, that offended my father-in-law that people were saying about me and, and, uh, my father, my second father-in-law, just, he's just kind of weird, but for some reason that offense just made him feel bad. And he's like, you can marry her. I'm not going to do this anymore. So, so we married and, uh, I could honestly say we have the good feelings towards each other. Now it's gotten <laughs> not the same, but it was when we first started. That's awesome. That's, mm-hmm. that's absolutely awesome. So, it sounds like for the most part, until things get kind of serious, the leadership doesn't play a huge role in saying yes or no on those sorts of things. Is that a fair assessment? Um, definitely not with the first wife. Uh, with the plural marriage wives, you, you do need to get their yes on it. Yep. Because ultimately, uh, 
the priesthood is answerable spiritually for mm -hmm. that polygamous families for actually doing that sealing. There's some responsibility that they take on in the spiritual sense. So if they want to have that confidence that the husband has it together enough to actually operate that family. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So now it, it, are, are there, are there, you know, litmus tests as far as financial viability as well, or is it just a spiritual thing or is it a combination mm -hmm. of the two? The spiritual aspect is definitely going to be 99% of it. Um, just throwing a number out there, obviously. Um, are you really, do you really have a testimony? Are you in this for the right reasons? Um, are you active? Uh, one of the biggest things that any father will check a man that's asking about their daughter is do they pay their tithing? Because that's one of those things like where your money is, your heart is. Um, so that's, that's something that's always checked. Um, but as far as like the things in the temporal world, um, from the spiritual aspect, like with the leadership, they're not going to say yes or no based on that. But there definitely are a lot of cases where the lady's father will be really hesitant because they don't want their daughter to grow up in squalor. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and that was actually kind of uh, my case because I lived in a, a trailer when I first moved to the community here. That he had a lot of concerns about that. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, but if you're doing good for yourself financially, you'll definitely make the the girl's father feel a lot better. Gotcha, mm -hmm. gotcha. Ten four. Yeah, I I could see that. Look, as a as a dad of uh, girls who who aren't um, polygamous, who's got a couple married kids, that yeah. was a concern for me, right? I mean, yeah. you can't mm -hmm. if you can't do the job, kiddo. I don't know what what I'm going to tell yeah. you, or you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, so, we got a daughter, daughter too. I, I I can feel that for sure. Yeah. yeah, I haven't reached that point yet, but I see it. Oh, you wait. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's an entirely new experience that you'll get to get to have. So, yeah. other than than like plural marriage, Adam, God, those big things that we hit. What else do you think really sets you apart from like the LDS Church? You know, what what are some teachings or some practices or cultural things that are unique to to the AUB? Um, well, the first thing that automatically just jumps to my mind is more of the visibility thing. And that, and that is we do wear the traditional old school garment that we believe was first created. So you'll never see us with short sleeve shirts um, or always long pants. People always ask, how can you stand that? It's hundred degrees outside, <laughs> but you get used to it. Well, um, I think with, uh, and then with dances, uh, we, we are still really old school with our dances. We're still doing the waltz, the Virginia rail and, uh, and, and just very traditional, uh, no modern music at all. Uh, occasionally somebody's tried to put on modern music and then somebody goes over and like, yeah, let's keep it traditional. Right. So yeah, we're very old school with our um, recreation and cultural things like that. Good deal. Uh, but I would say though, with things like movies and maybe music on a personal basis rather than a community activity, you do get a lot of variability. People have different opinions. I actually have a degree in music and did a massive report on uh, music and ethics and morality. So I'm kind of interested in that subject. That's a different subject. We'll go down that hole. <laughs> Uh, um uh let's see i think those are the only things that are coming to my head right at the right at the front 
um, as far as uh, cultural differences go, because because I feel like AUB especially um, tends to blend in really well with the way most of society is. I don't right. think you'd recognize a lot of things unless you came to one of our dances. Then right. That would be might be a different experience. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and, and more power to you guys. I, I don't think I could dance. I think I my, my two left feet would get in my way. Yeah, I don't really go either. I did not. I was younger because I wanted to be married. But as soon as I got married, I was like, oh, done. Don't have to go anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm with you. Now, early on, we talked about you guys said you you said that you guys had kind of your own educational system as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, yeah. So that like? in Pinesdale, uh, where I grew up, we had a system one through six. Uh, I think they actually have a high school system there now. And just so people are aware, I'm talking about like a fully legally accredited school system here. Um, that I think Pinesdale actually has a high school now, um, but I haven't been there in years. Uh, for our for Utah here, we have two private schools, uh, one at Bluffdale and then one in Rocky Ridge. Most people are in fundamentals and probably familiar with Rocky Ridge out by Santa Quinn. Uh, we don't have one here in Mount Pleasant yet, though, unfortunately. People are talking about it. There's kind of like a, a base startup thing going with it, but it's not legal yet. Um, So, yeah, we do like to have that just so people because what tends to happen in more cult societies is they grow up either without an education or not a legal education. And then they don't have a diploma. So we try and counter that and have so and actually have a school system. And as far as the experience that it was, I was uh, I was only in it for a couple of years preschool through second grade my family for one reason or another was heavily made fun of uh and we really struggled with bullying so we were moved out in the public school system really fast um uh but from what i've seen now as an older person they're very good school systems and and they're fully accredited by the state i i I, fully accredited yeah i probably uh, wish I could have um, my son in one of the private schools because apparently they're very rigorous and I think it'd be awesome to be able to go through that type of a process. Um, but it's too far from where I live. So, <laughs> sure. sure. Um, and then what about higher education? Do, are you guys encouraged to go to college, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say it's not like a forced thing by any means. It's probably like most people out in the world. Like this would be a good idea if you want to do such and such a job. Um, I don't see any any differences with that whatsoever. I did get my degree in music, and then I went back to school to be a paramedic. And now I'm currently trying to be a physician as um, physician assistant assistant. Now it's called a physician associate. Nice. So I can specialize in emergency medicine. I've just uh, uh, so yeah, a lot of people in my faith have college degrees. So very cool and and that, that i would say overall it's more recommended. yeah no i i think that's cool and and the and look it's one thing that i feel like mormonism in general has lost there i think there's there's a few outliers but the sense of building not just a church but but a society and a culture right and i feel like mm-hmm. that, that was something that joseph was was definitely angling towards in his his original 
mission, right? Um, and I yeah. remember I was living in Maryland at the time, and I was taking a few classes back there in Jacksonian America. And uh, this college professor had said, okay, real quick, and, and you can't really talk about Jacksonian America without talking about the Mormons, right? It's just... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and he he said he said a couple things in there that were very interesting. But one was he just kind of did this pop quiz as he was introducing Mormonism into the class, and I was the only Mormon in there. Um, it, it's not like it is out west where you can't turn around without bumping into a Mormon. It it gets pretty sparse once you're east of the Mississippi. But uh, I, I remember I was uh, I was in this class and he said, uh, "Okay, how many how many chapels did Joseph Smith build?" in his lifetime meeting houses and hands yeah. up you know a hundred no that's not it you know and it, it whittled down and finally the, the 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 professor just said zero he built zero chapels he built temples and communities and so uh being able to have those communities you have to have people to staff them so to speak right you need medical professionals you need engineering you need you need all those things to to, to make a functioning society so the yeah. the fact you guys are still involved in that i think is 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 great i think that that's that's definitely something that's admirable that that i think as mormons we we all need to start looking at again and, and getting back to that idea of building community not just not just church buildings well thank you yeah yeah i appreciate that saying that about us it's very nice so uh, there is an emphasis on trying to build those communities as far as uh, exactly with what you're talking about um to uh to make sure because we do try like with the united order to have like a specific local economy um so there's like an emphasis to make sure that we've got a doctor in the community which we do uh there's you know people with finance and uh, people with different businesses so everybody's needs can be met and uh yeah just going along with what you're saying, everybody working together to meet everybody's needs to build a good local community. Good deal. Um, what about social media? Do you guys have like a website or a social media presence? Um, not a public one. We have ones that are private that are just for us as far as communication and things like that go. Um, but there definitely, there is absolutely zero media presence. Unless I'm just really oblivious and i'm unaware i've never heard of anything like that gotcha. uh, i would say for the uh uh for the most part social media is kind of one of those uh independent views everybody has a different take on it but as far as leadership goes and aub as a whole i don't feel like we've ever really taken a role in social media at all okay all right cool um, is there is there anything else that you feel like is really unique to the AUB that that we haven't gone over that that you want to talk about? Uh, let me think about this for one sec. Actually, can we take a break? Yeah. And then, yep. uh, all right, that'll give me a chance to think about it for a minute. And I've got to go to the bathroom. So. Oh no problem. Yep, we can we can definitely pause this. All right. Cool. Okay, so we're back. So one last question I have for you, Josh, is what about um, the word of wisdom? Is that something that's very similar to the LDS Church or to other fundamentalist groups? How do you guys practice that? Uh, so with the word of wisdom, uh, we really take the, the first part of that, not by way of commandment. 
Um, so no one's ever held back by it in any means. I personally love coffee. I drink coffee almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I kind of think that's a, a very fundamentalist thing, especially because it is preceded with that, not by way of commandment. Um, that being said, it is taught, it's believed in, and there is an emphasis on it. I don't know about all fundamentalist groups, but in the AUB there is. Um, but it's more like the spirit of the word of wisdom is to be healthy. Okay. So if you had one person that drank coffee, but exercised, ate good, uh, all those things, in our faith, he would be someone that was really living the word of wisdom, as opposed to the other person that drank pop on the couch and was just being a bum watching TV, you know, all day long. Yeah, even if he was not drinking coffee, not drinking tea and obeying the verbatim part of the word of wisdom. Yeah, um, so to us, it's like it's the spirit of the law. A lot more goes in with that. It is a question that's asked in our interviewing process, like the recommends. But it's 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 uh, extremely uh, to the it, it's essentially asked like this. Do you feel like you're living the word of wisdom in the way that you understand it? Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, I can really I can I can really respect that because <laughs> it, it's one of those things that made me laugh when I first moved to Utah. Right. And not just mm -hmm. when when I became a. Uh, a fundamentalist but when 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 i moved to utah is that there was this talk about you know the word of wisdom and that sort of thing and but yet um it was it, it was like they looked for loopholes right so it was like okay yeah. i don't drink coffee but i'll have a gallon of the most sugary mountain dew soda you can imagine um yeah and and, and as i read the word of wisdom and and i tend to be both in my interpretation of scripture and um, and the con U.S. Constitution, kind of a literalist, right? I I, I think the words yeah. are there. So when it says by way of greeting, not commandment, I'm like, okay, so how do you skirt that, right? Mm. Um, and so yeah, just the overall picture of health is is what I'm worried about, right? Um, I'm a guy that likes to go to the gym. I feel like that's super important, right? Stay healthy, stay stay on top of your game, and. Mm. And I, I I think there's a spirit to the law, definitely, as well as the letter of the law. And I think in, in something like that, it's one of those things that has to be looked at and accounted for. Yep. That's one of those things that can be really dangerous. Our group feels can be dangerous with getting strict on. We feel like the LDS church is too strict on it. Which things like that always make me laugh because we're a fundamentalist cult religion. It's usually the other way around. Um but yeah, that one especially, it's just so much more a spirit of the law type of commandment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It always made me laugh when when I saw someone who who couldn't walk eight feet without passing out, but they would tell you they you <laughs> practice the word of wisdom. I'm like, I felt like the, the guy out of the princess. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't think this word means what you think it means, right? I have my mom. I, I think there's there's more to it. But. <laughs> anyway yeah dude that does it for my yeah. question i i i really appreciate being here nothing else you wanted to add or anything josh i can't think of anything at the top of my head it was fun talking about it 
Um, I've actually yeah. done something like this a couple of times at college classes uh, as well for alternative religions. So. But it's been a while for me doing it. Awesome. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate mm-hmm. you having and I tell everybody this, and I, I mean it sincerely, and, and the same goes for you. If you ever you know want to come back on, you have a standing invitation. All you need to do is reach out to me. You got my my contact info. Keep that handy, and and please feel free to to reach out. Even if it's like you know you, you you're studying something and you feel like you want to share it, don't hesitate. Um, I enjoyed yeah. talking to you. I think you're 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 a heck of a nice guy, and and I, I appreciate the time you took. All right, I appreciate it, David. Thank you so much. You too. All right, bye, everybody. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.